2: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Artist Formerly Known as the Troy Noons is an Absolute Magician Podcast. Uh, your host is always, Steve Haller. Joining me as always, Christian Guzman and Andy Pregler. And with us this week, uh, Bennett, I've already forgotten your last name, so...
3: <laughs> <laughs> there
2: we go. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> We're starting this one out on a great note. Um, most listeners will be used to the stupidity off the top. Uh, this week, we do have some uh, some news. We will officially have to change the name of the podcast. Nothing else should change for you guys uh, on your end as a listener, outside of the fact that you will see a very different logo or uh, title in your podcast feed and wonder what the hell it is. It's still us, but uh we will have to the, the only differences will be the name and the intro. So um we'll we'll still be the Trade News is an absolute podcast until the end of the month. But uh after that, I guess uh if anyone has listener suggestions for for a new name for us, uh, feel free to let us know. We are fielding yeah, we got, all, we...
0: <laughs> all obscure broadcast calls related to Syracuse.
1: <laughs> we have been, yeah, we got voxed. We got voxed hard. Uh, not the only ones to be voxed uh, if you've been around the SB Nation landscape. But uh, for us, it's just the podcast. And uh, we'll we'll keep everybody up to date after that uh, at the end of the month, like what, what the new name is and what's going forward. But for now, uh, we've got my bud... Former co worker of mine, uh, Bennett Corkrun, who's senior data scientist at Shot Quality, a website that we have referenced several times on this podcast um, pretty ne- much every never, episode. Never in good, I've, never, I've never written good articles.
0: Thing. <laughs> I've written articles about the data from Shot Quality, so <laughs> <laughs> we use them a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, we love Bennett, you. we're about to ask you all the questions that we have, but I guess for those who might not necessarily. Be super familiar with shot quality. Can you give the the quick elevator pitch on what shot quality is and uh, where you guys are kind of at right now?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks again, uh, Andy, and everyone else for having me on. Um, but, yeah, for shot quality, for those of you that aren't familiar, um, I like to think of it almost as, like, um, it's almost like an expected goals, like, for soccer, but for kind of, like, quality of possessions in basketball. Um, so, basically, it started doing this stuff for kind of, like, Coaches and teams, and now we've uh, we have shot quality bets um, in the betting space as well, um, offering predictions on games and things like that. But basically, we look at every possession um, where a shot occurs, and we're determining okay, based on things like you know what type of shot was it, um, defender distance, who the sh- like who the shooter is, obviously, you know if it's Joe Girard versus somebody else, like we're obviously you're going to have to account for all that type of stuff, and then we're determining okay, what's the expected points per possession on this. Given shot and then doing that, um, you know, over all the shots in the course of a game, um, and a lot of times it's quite interesting if it's like a pretty close game, and you can see, oh, if they got these same looks, um, and we were just to run through the same exact scenario thousands of times, like what do we expect? You know, the the outcome would be just based on the quality of shots taken. Um, so really, um, you know, it's it's measuring, it's called shot quality, but really it's possessions in general because you know you're. Whether you're getting, you know, turnovers or offensive rebounds or things like that, it's it's all kind of affects, um, you know, ultimately how successful you're going to be. But that's the type of stuff that we've been doing. Uh, personally, I've been working on some NBA stuff recently. Right now, we're we're very college basketball focused, and I'm, you know, very much college basketball focused at this time of year. Um, so, yeah, we can dive into a little bit more. Unless you guys have more questions about shot quality, we can dive in a little bit more about Q's.
0: Uh, before before we dive in, um, I just want to say, Bennett, uh, Andy, and Steve are very happy that you're here because it avoids them having to figure out talking about lacrosse for another week.
2: <laughs> well, well, from what I, I can the <laughs> from uh, from what we saw this weekend, uh, there's either a lot to talk about or not much to talk about. So.
0: There's a lot to talk about.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. Mm, well, we I was gonna say if we're gonna talk about Syracuse basketball stuff. We can talk about Jim Boeheim, uh calling out Moneybag Wake Forest later <laughs> on in the show. but
0: Apparently Pitt also. Yeah.
1: Well, Dave, capel has got a reputation where I could understand where that one might have come from, just not with his current roster. Um, but Wake Forest still makes zero sense to me. Uh, Bennett, Syracuse has not been great the last no, few really, years. No, really, what makes you say? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think last year, you know, you and I were kind of talking at the beginning of the season about how this that this would might have been the year where Syracuse's 500 streak came to an end. And lo and behold, it did. And that was mostly you uh, talking about just there's not a whole lot of offensive production on the floor and the defense just doesn't look like it's there. Uh, I guess the, the, the question on a lot of Syracuse fans' minds right now is just, is this a talent issue? Is this a coaching issue? Um, I'm sure the data is going to give a much more nuanced opinion than trying to come down on one side or the other, but it definitely seems like at least from the offensive side of the ball, uh, unless Joe Girard is chucking up a lot of shots, there's not a whole lot more offense happening, even with like a guy like Judah Mintz on the floor, trying to provide, you know, the most support that he possibly can.
3: Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I mean, I think, so I think defensively just to start, I mean, obviously, you know, you the patented two, three zone. Um, And I think really this isn't just a this year problem, but really extending the past few years as well. Um, I just, you know, I'm not quite sure the, in terms of personnel that they have kind of like the athletes with like the kind of elite length that you're used to seeing, particularly at the top of the zone, like the point of attack. Um, And that certainly has been, you know, a bit problematic here. Um, I think, you know, offensively, we've seen some adjustments more recently um, that I think, you know, have, proved to be a bit promising. So like for instance, I mean, I know we'll get into the off the court stuff, like the Behan comments about like Benny Williams and everything, but his role being a bit um, you know, reduced, I would say, more recently, the last few games. Um and then, you know, obviously, you know, Malik getting more minutes has has been really encouraging. He's been hyper efficient um in the minutes that he's had recently. So I think when you look at kind of that as a recent trend and you know how they're kind of Potentially, you know, could be before we down the stretch here. I think that's something to definitely point at. Um, but, yeah, no, it's certainly been, you know, a disappointing season, really. I think defensively, yeah, we kind of already covered it um, in terms of, like, personnel issues. But I think offensively, um, you know, really missing some of the spacing as well. Um, just other than Gerard, like he mentioned, Andy, there's not a ton of shooters on the team. Um, so it, it's just difficult, um, you know, to... Uh, you know, really generate quality looks, uh, you know, when you don't necessarily have the spacing around you. Um, I know we'll, we'll probably talk about Mintz a little bit more. I mean, he's been super impressive, in my opinion, as a freshman. So um, I think he's basically kind of keeping the afloat. Um You know, does, does a lot off the dribble and kind of creating, uh, getting into the mid-range um, and getting to the rim, which kind of, you know, allows them to kind of open things up a little bit more.
0: One of the uh, graphics that uh, I tweeted out and commented on last week that you guys tweeted out was the uh, three-point shot quality and shot-making talent uh, graphic where Cuse was all the way in the top left quadrant of uh, teams that had good shooters who get away with poor shot selection. And it feels like that's just the epitome of the Syracuse team where if it's not Jesse Edwards, everyone else is taking really bad quality shots. Like, from what the data says, like, are there really any any players outside of maybe Jesse that are, like, taking high, high-quality shots?
3: Yeah, so that's a great question. So Edwards is clearly, like, towards the top of the kind of player uh, player metrics as well. But Malik Brown really has um, come on in terms of, like, a, from an efficiency standpoint, obviously he's shooting, like, 70% from the field or something. But um, the, the yeah. shot quality points for possession stuff all kind of backs that up. He did, he's... Obviously, he's kind of a non-shooter at this point, so a lot of his looks are, are very close to the rim, but um, he's doing a good job of, you know, finishing off plays where, you know, if the defense is overhelping or stuff like that, he can kind of, um, you know, back that, you know, get right to the rim. Um, so, I, you know, I think I do think there's something to be said about that adjustment, but yeah, Edwards, in terms of, like, the, you know, player efficiency stuff, he's certainly at the top, and we saw that, um, in, that in that Boston College game on
0: Saturday. And it feels like a team makeup like this is kind of like an enigma in college basketball where you have basically shooters who can make shots, but not necessarily all the shots they're taking are high quality shots. Like, other than like Baylor, who I've seen on, on that graphic, like our, how many other teams are like really trying to this uh, approach of just shoot the ball and hope it goes in?
3: Yeah, I mean it's 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 obviously like there are certain teams that are kind of over or underperforming relative um, to their kind of sh- shot quality scores. Um, and I, I do uh, you know this you know in the NBA a lot of people like to say it's a make or miss league, and you know college is is not that far off um, in terms of you know there there is quite a bit of variance that goes into uh, you know each game on a you know game by game basis. Um, I'll, I'll stick like within the ACC. I mean I think. Um, if you look at teams that were kind of like higher or lower on relative to consensus, um, like you look at, you know, Ken Palm ratings or other, um, you know, predictive metrics sites. Um, I mean, I think Clemson is a good example of a team that um, is making shots at a higher rate than we would anticipate. Um, they've been, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, have been ranked for, for quite a bit here and they, they have, in fairness, they have had, you know, you know, quite a few kind of like injuries throughout the last month or so um but yeah I, I would if we're sticking with the acc i would say they're kind of the team uh that's you know outperformed um you know relative to expectation the most
0: which explains why they lost the bc before right the... yeah exactly <laughs> so,
3: uh it's already kind of coming back to bite them they've had some incredible luck in close games and that one didn't go their way but like you know at florida state you know yeah. gutting that out by one point and you kind of go down the list here. Um, so, you know, they, they, they just lost on Saturday uh, to Miami. So, you know, perhaps, you know, things are starting to kind of catch up with them a bit. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a good example, in my opinion, of a, of a team that's... A, and I think that they're, they're probably not the only one, but they're, they seem to be the kind of biggest example if you look at kind of like, yeah, rankings versus expectations. Um, Pitt is kind of another one, honestly, where, you know, they... not Maybe not to the same degree, but, um, you know, have... Have overachieved um, slightly relative to expectations. Honestly, are um, I would say if you're if you're just casually looking at records, you might you know think Pitt is considerably better than Syracuse. But if you look at like shot quality rankings and things like that, um, they're actually very close. Um, so that's you know another interesting kind of nugget relative to the rest of the ACC.
1: Well, I was gonna. I think this is a great kind of jumping off point into. What has been a really down year for the ACC, um, I don't ever really remember the ACC as a conference being this bad and having the... I do. It was last unquote, season. <laughs> well, right. But last year, you have Duke and North Carolina at the top of the conference. Still, again, they made it to the Final Four
2: against each other. Like well, when, UNC,
0: UNC wasn't really at the top of the conference last year
2: either. They, they were once they got everyone healthy. Right. Like that, and that tail this, and stretch, you could see they were a legit team. But yeah, the they were floundering for a good most of the year.
1: <laughs> and this year, it doesn't seem like there's any team that, like, if they get healthy, will suddenly become a national championship contender for the ACC. Like, I can't actually see any real elite eight true contenders coming out of the conference. Which is the first time in a while that I think that we can honestly say that. I'm I'm just kind of curious, like, what your take is on. The the health of the conference and just kind of taking our view outside of the ACC for a second, like which conferences have really kind of impressed this year in this vacuum that has been, you know, opened up with the ACC not taking up, you know, their traditional five, six, seven, top 25 spots that they normally have. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal.
3: Uh, Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I I guess yeah. Within the ACC, it's it's as you both kind of mentioned, certainly been um, a bit of a down year, um, kind of across the board. But particularly, you know, as when you think about the you know the top you know two or three teams, um, like this Virginia team is very good. It's not you know quite as good as the Virginia teams have passed. You know, even you know those couple number one seeds. Uh, The national championship team, this this team isn't, you know, quite on that kind of level. And then obviously Duke and UNC are very talented um, and still have some things to kind of iron out. But at the same time, I mean, like both of you guys kind of mentioned, I mean, the, the talent really throughout the conference isn't, you know, quite what we're used to. So, I mean, I think it wouldn't shock me, I guess, if like, you know, Duke starts to kind of figure it out. We already kind of saw on Saturday in that UNC game. You know, the the Derek Lively game, you know, his minutes really picking up. I think, it, it, you know, Derek Whitehead, if he gets healthy, like, so there's, there's there's still kind of a lot hanging in the balance, I think, um, across the top of the league where it's like, you know, some of these teams could emerge almost like UNC did last year in the next month or so. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is another team that I think is super interesting. They, um, you know, Hunter Couture has missed a lot of time. And then as soon as he comes back, they're, they're starting to um, really put some results together here. Um, you know, obviously picked up a huge win uh on Saturday against Virginia so you know I think that's that's kind of another you know interesting team but I think taking a step back and looking at you know other conferences as well I mean the Big 12 is a cut above everyone else they're they're both from like a top of the league and then also from like a depth and quality standpoint there's just no days off in the Big 12 there's no get right games every everything is such a battle um SEC has been very good as well in the Big 10 um I think especially from like kind of like a depth standpoint um, obviously it's, you know, top the SEC, You've, you have your Alabamas and Tennessees in particular. Um, and then for the big 10, Purdue, as of right now, seems like, you know, even with a loss to Indiana yesterday, seems to be, you know, if not the best team, one of the best, you know, few teams. Um, but really, I think just taking a step back and looking at, you know, the last few years in particular, um, where we have like, uh, you know, a Kansas or a Baylor or a Gonzaga that. You know, you look up and you think, oh, you know, I feel pretty good about this team making like, a, uh, you know, substantial NCAA tournament run. I think this year seems very wide open compared to the last, you know, several seasons to where I don't feel I don't have a ton of confidence in any one team to like, for example, you know, Houston right now, like, you know, that before I, I was catching that game before I hopped on the stream, and they were down at halftime and had, had to kind of battle back to what a second loss to Temple. And, you know, with that Wichita State game was tied at the end. Like, so it's, it's, it's kind of—we're at the point of the year where everyone's not that good. And, but it makes it a lot—that's why the sport is so fun, where it's just like, you know, anything could happen. Even some of my Syracuse friends that are more pessimistic, it's like, well, you know, if the ACC is down, like, who's to say— Another, another yeah. tournament run's not out of the question. So I think because, you know, that we don't have this like traditional kind of, you know, powers at the top that you would normally see, um, where there's like, you know, a couple teams that just kind of are, you know, considerably, uh, you know, cut above everyone else. The variance this year is, is fairly massive. And I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, oh, I don't see, you know, an, a Final Four team coming out of the ACC just because it's such a down year because, you know, the bracket breaks right. And all of a sudden, you know, we got a, another UNC situation. So I think that kind of level variance makes it just super exciting this time of year even more so than other years
2: yeah this the the field just seems like one of those stupid ones that if q somehow ever decided to pull things together and make the tournament they'd end up in the sweet 16 at least it's just like one of those dumb fields of like everybody but the acc who's seen the zone even though the zone sucks this year we've proven in the past that you know that doesn't actually matter because people get confused but uh, I, I'm pretty sure all three of us see, are
0: see see the 2021 run
2: right. Uh, I, and yeah,
0: pretty... I was just gonna say even if the
3: zone doesn't even click that well, the the idea of the zone basically you're inviting the sniper variant style because you're inviting teams to shoot so many threes. So if you catch mm. a team on an off night, I mean it's it's kind of interesting and that kind of ties back into the shot quality aspect of it all. But
2: and that's um, yeah, yeah you, you know. That feels like it's been this year in a nutshell. Of like, yeah. we either catch teams that are shooting out of their mind, or shooting like Virginia Tech that first game where they couldn't literally couldn't hit the broadside of a barn.
0: And then we got Virginia Tech the second game.
2: Right. <laughs> well, that and that was with Hunter Couture, which changes that, too, that yeah. whole dynamic. Um, well,
0: the-
3: Virginia Tech in, Bertinu- yeah. in particular, I mean, yeah. between yeah, between Couture and Padula, it's just going to be a tough matchup uh, for a team like Hughes. and they have the. Mm-hmm the personnel to put months in the middle of the zone and, and really generate high quality looks. Um, they did that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, we'll see if this, this BC win is kind of a, you know, a sound of things to come turning a corner of sorts. But um, this obviously was after dropping, I think it was four or five. Like that was a, a huge spot um, to kind of get back in the balance here. So, um, you know, BC is the exact type of team where it's like, they were coming off that Clemson win and they, they don't shoot particularly well from three. So um, Q's kind of inv- inviting looks from, You know, they're they're guards that aren't necessarily, you know, great shooters. Um, So, yeah, definitely, you know, a solid win. And, you know, we'll see if they're able to bounce back these last, you know, six or seven ACC games to kind of get ready for the ACC tournament.
0: And one of the uh, first articles that I wrote for for Noons was um, based off um, something Shock Quality posted in 2021 on, like, trends that, you know, winning teams were doing um, and what losing teams were doing. Heading into the um, NCAA tournament, and Syracuse was trending in the right direction to make that Sweet 16 run because of doing some of those uh, winning trends that shot quality was describing. So, in the current landscape of college basketball right now, what are some of those top 25 teams like your Houston's and Purdue's of the world in terms of the shot quality metrics? What are they doing well that's basically allowing them to get to these wins? What are they limiting also in their losses? In their what, what metrics are they limiting as well to avoid losses?
3: Yeah, no, so this is a great question. Um, I mean, I think the the beauty of college basketball is that, you know, you get there's – a, there's a wide variety of different teams and playing a lot of different styles in terms of, you know, some teams play really fast, some teams play very slow. Um, some teams are, you know, very averse to shooting threes and vice versa, where you get a lot of different kind of different, um, you know, styles of play where – they they a variety of different w- ways to win basically. So I think for a team like Houston, for example, um, they're a really good team of winning the turnover battles where it's like they're um, you know they're going to turn you over and they're going to limit turnovers in their own right. Which and then also they're they're very good on the offensive glass. So between winning the turnover battle and getting more offensive rebounds, you're getting more possessions, and then from there, you know, you're able to generate more shots relative to your opponent. Which I mean, it's that's kind of the shot quantity aspect of it, where you're you're just kind of able to get more possessions than your opponent um, and get, get more shots up, uh, which in turn you know leads to success for Purdue. Obviously, it's everything is kind of through Zach Eady. Um, he's kind of running away with the national player of the year run at this point. But they honestly play very simple, as you can imagine. You know, your best player is seven <laughs> four, like you're going to be really good on the offensive glass as well, um, and they've got some some great guard play as well to kind of complement that. But um, yeah, I think the, a lot of the teams that do very well in terms of predictive metrics do a really good job of kind of those generating extra possessions type thing. Um, So, yeah, I mean, within the context of of Syracuse, obviously the zone does kind of allow a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, But yeah, I mean, a lot of these other teams I would say Purdue and Houston, though in particular, that they, they do both play very slow. So if you're if you're limiting the possessions in a game, that is kind of like an anything that could happen. So um, usually, if you're yeah, if you're a really good team, you would prefer there to be more possessions in a game. So that way, that, the kind of variance is more like of a balance on your favor.
0: That yeah, that ties into a the Syracuse question that I also had because we see Syracuse a lot go deep into the shot clock and in, in uh, some of their uh, possessions and. And some of it's, you know, not having an offensive plan, but we see a lot of below 10 second shots in the shot clock. So like, how does that affect a possession um, in terms of shot quality? Like, are you, are you seeing those, no, those predictive metrics go lower as the shot, as the shot clock gets deeper?
3: Yeah, no, hundred percent. So like as the shot clock, um, you know, gets closer to expiring, you're more likely to get a bad shot because you have to take a shot. So Um, You know, for possessions where, um, you know, we do see, you know, five seconds or less remaining on the shot clock, you know, you're very unlikely to get, you know, a higher quality look. Um, And, you know, unless it's, you know, right as some sort of action or motion is occurring to where, you know, maybe there's a double and, and, you know, you just made a pass to somebody wide open type thing. But, yeah, that, that definitely doesn't help, I guess, in terms of the... Shot quality scores, yeah, you're less likely to, but in turn, I mean, it, it also depends on, you know, if your opponent is, if you're able to slow down your opponent as well, then they're not getting higher quality looks either, so it's kind of a balance of, you know, you, as long as you're kind of maintaining that same pace um, on the other end of the floor, really, um, it's, yeah, it's not great to, to be taking shots late in the clock, but if you can make your opponent do it too, I mean, that's that also kind of feeds into it, so...
1: I think one of the, the bigger stories for Syracuse this year that, that actually has been positive um, has been Judah Mintz. Uh, he's somebody that had high expectations coming in, and as we saw with Benny Williams, coming in with high expectations doesn't even require you, you know, meeting the floor anywhere. Um, and Mince has definitely done what he's been asked to do a lot of. Um, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to... to speak your love for Judah Mintz into yeah. the world since I know that it's already okay. there. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I
3: mean, if you're taking one thing away from this season, it's got to be Judah Mintz. Um, and honestly, I think as kind of like a silver lining, you know, he hasn't been a, a perfect player, but the, the silver lining being, you know, there's, I think there's a, a better chance that he, you know, is likely to return to school relative to like before the season, You, you know, you started to see him kind of, you know popping up in mock drafts and getting that kind of buzz as like oh you know this guy might you know make a long list of you know potential one and done guys um i think the way that the shot has looked we're not quite there yet but i think that is kind of a silver lining thing to where um you know he has an area that he needs to improve upon and you know perhaps you know that could occur next year um but i I really like judah mince's game i'm a big fan i think um you know being more of like a combo guard and being asked to do more of like a facilitator role at Cuse. Um, you know, it's not an easy task and I think he's filled it really well as a freshman. Um, he's, I mean, you got to take a lot of the, obviously the numbers, you know, putting up, you know, a reasonably efficient 15 points a game and, you know, a good assist turnover ratio and things like that, um, you know, has been super helpful for Cuse. Uh, but then also, just, you know, how he's kind of going about it, being able to kind of, um, you know, obviously very crafty off the dribble, um, you know, in the mid-range, um, you know, finishing over, you know, larger defenders. And honestly, the thing that sucks out, out to me watching the last, you know, few games in particular, like, he's routinely drawing the best defensive player from the other team. So, like, Leaky Black is on him, like, the entire game, or, you know, Reese Beekman is on him the entire game, and, and he's still, you know, getting reasonable looks um, with without a ton of spacing or without this great offensive environment, he still, um, you know, is able to kind of pick his spots, very patient um, and, you know, serviceable defender, I, you know, it's, I, it's, it's always kind of a tough, you know, individual defense evaluation within the two, the scheme of the two, three, but um, you know, I think he's been reasonable enough on that end. Um, but yeah, I think it really just, it comes down to the shot. It's, he doesn't really take a lot of threes, so it's, it's tough to really tell. I mean, I think he's a better shooter than his percentages would indicate on that end. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at like, within the context of like, you know, trying to predict some NBA player success, um, you know, three point attempt rate is something that, you know, is generally predictive of shooting skill. So, you know, the percentage of shots that you take, how many of those are threes, obviously his is very low at the moment. Um, so I think the the shot is going to be, you know, Ultimately, you know, can he go from, you know, a, you know, a very good college player to the, you know, potential NBA guy? I think that the shot is going to be, you know, the kind of swing skill, if you will. Um, but he's been super encouraging to watch, a lot of fun. Um, and it's most of the reason, like, when I, if I'm tuning in a piece on a random loaded college basketball slate, it's like, I got to get, you know, some to minutes in there, so. <laughs>
1: um. This is, a, this is a great spot. Nice happy moment to, to enter into halftime here. And shout out our sponsor, Home Field Apparel, maker of the finest vintage collegiate apparel that you're going to find on the internet. Uh, they just announced today that they are dropping Florida State, North Carolina State, and Georgia Tech Limited collections this week. So they are really leaning into this whole ACC thing. Uh, as per usual, their stuff is fantastic. It is the softest. It is the coolest uh collegiate t-shirts hoodies joggers sweaters that you're going to find this side of the internet uh and if you have never bought from home field apparel somehow some way uh use the promo code nunes n-u-n-e-s for 10 off your first order at home field apparel uh they are fantastic as always as we all await our uh syracuse stuff to arrive in the mail from the most recent syracuse collection uh it's it's fantastic, and we will definitely be rocking that for most of March Madness, uh, even if Cuse it doesn't necessarily make the tournament, which, yeah, I think, Bennett, that's kind of where we kind of have to draw take this conversation next. The, the reality we, we is do. that Syracuse is... That, that, what
2: was that? We do? that. That's a conversation? <laughs> like, we, we can actually <laughs> well, have a conversation about that?
1: <laughs> I think we need to have a conversation because, again, I probably just look at the worst corners of the internet which I fully admit is is a problem that I have that will once Twitter dies that problem will be gone like I just I just need <laughs> Twitter to die and then I'll be completely saved for myself but we're not there yet um, and we're looking at a Syracuse team with a very meh resume and we're looking at them if you look in totality a lot of those early season losses have somehow gotten worse which is not ideal um, <laughs> Just just not what you want And so Syracuse is now in a position where the only way into the tournament, like even if they somehow beat Duke, um, they beat some of the good teams left on their schedule, they probably don't get into the tournament without a very deep run, if not winning the entire ACC tournament. And so Bennett, I just, one, that assumption seems right. And two, uh, you know, again, ACC tournament is this weird beast that Syracuse has really struggled in as of late i um, not of really sure. You, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's only been 10 years, of, so I guess that's,
2: yeah, that's as of late.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there any real, pa- like, are there any good matchups that Syracuse could hope for uh, in the ACC tournament or that we should be looking for um, among, you know, you know, the better ACC teams? Because my, my brain says we don't match up well.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it, in terms of, so just stepping back for a second, I mean, I would just evaluating the resume for a second. Obviously, you know, there's not a ton, but I I will say there's not any kind of like glaring bad losses either. I mean, even the kind of like uh, mid major losses in the non conference schedule. I mean, Colgate is like far and away the best team in the Patriot, and you know Bryant is you know not too bad either. And that game was kind of goofy, but um, (laughs) going through kind of the rest of the ACC in terms of matchups that I would say try to avoid um virginia tech we kind of talked about a little bit already but i think that's a pretty brutal matchup for syracuse in particular just based on the shooting around the zone and then being able to have mucks kind of in the middle of that two three i do think north carolina is you know traditionally a really good offensive rebounding team i think basically when when i think about teams that you know if i were a qs fan i wouldn't necessarily want to see it would be teams that are really good three-point shooting teams or teams that are really good at offensive rebounding because the zone does kind of you know it, it, it's kind of a weakness versus strength there um, in terms of what you're allowing. So those are a few teams I would say, you know, maybe, but I mean, at the same time, Syracuse has played a lot of these top teams in the ACC fairly close to date. So obviously like the UNC game, the Virginia game. Um, so I, I, I do think it kind of comes back to the state of the ACC and it is kind of a gift and a curse. You have, you're not gifted a lot of like, Resume-defining opportunities, like where it's like, oh, I beat Duke on the road. Like this is gonna, you know, it doesn't really mean as much this year relative to what it, you know the last few years, for example. But um at the same time, you know, you get into the ACC tournament, and it's like, okay, well, you know, if none of these teams are are you know quite you know resume-defining, then you know maybe we can beat anyone. So it's, I think, that, yeah, that's kind of like the the catch-22 with the with the ACC as a whole right now. Um, but in terms of teams I, I would, you know, try to avoid just based on matchups, I would say those are those are two teams that, you know,
0: closer to the top that I, I wouldn't love. And it feels like I get some of these better teams, like a way that Syracuse has gotten back into the games, especially as of late has been with the full court press. And it feels like that that's really one of the only ways where Syracuse can generate those extra possessions. Like you said that, you know, drive up those metrics that Syracuse can actually know take advantage of so how how is that in term you know speeding up teams that is giving syracuse an advantage
3: yeah no absolutely i mean i think especially these if you look at the the last few kind of like close home games against good teams um where it's like oh wait there, there's 10 minutes to go and we need to make a run to get back in this game like so like a lot of times the the pressure um you know worked fairly well um and I, you know i think down the stretch that's something that they could turn to you know a little bit more frequently um But, yeah, no, I mean, I think, especially, you know, we kind of talked about this already, but you look at, like, the half-court defense, and it's, okay, if we're not, you know, generally forcing as many turnovers as, you know, like, the kind of, like, peak 2-3 defenses we've seen in the past, um, that's kind of another way to, um, you know, force. I think it works better for some teams than others. Um, It's really, you know, relative to, you know, what they're what their kind of lead guards are like, you know, for, for a team with a lot of ball handlers, like a Miami, I could see that going kind of terribly, but for a lot of other teams, I think that could go really well. So I think it's, it, it is kind of like, you know, like I said, you know, matchup focused and like, you know, wh- where can you kind of exploit weaknesses from other teams? But that's certainly, um, you know, another strategy that they could continue to employ.
1: And I think the, the I guess before we get into the weird Jim Bayheim, Conversation that needs to happen today. Uh, um I, the the I guess the final thoughts on this team are like moving forward, there's no recruits coming in for 2023. Um it seems really obvious that Syracuse is kind of banking on Mince coming back, um on Gerard maybe taking a fifth year of eligibility due to the COVID situation and coming back in some capacity. Um and then, well, yeah, and then you're losing Edwards, um, but otherwise, you're pretty well, much returning not, the team. and at the to portal. Well. <laughs> but we'll touch Fair. more on that
2: later, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, they'd be looking at the transfer portal to kind of fill around the edges and whatnot. And obviously, it's like way too early to kind of tell about, you know, which specific player you could get in the portal. But what type of player do you think Syracuse could theoretically add via the portal that would. Whole, help open up this offense or improve the defense to a point where it doesn't matter if the offense isn't great, they're going to hold people into the fifties most games and, and that's going to be enough.
3: Yeah, for sure. So obviously some of this is dependent on, you know, like you kind of alluded to who stays and goes, but I think right now, um, you know, the, I would say shooting for sure. Um, and, you know, I would say probably, you know, a third guard that, you know, is a, a bit better defensively to kind of, be able to compensate for Gerard a little bit better at the point of attack. I would say those are kind of two things for sure. You know, everybody wants three of D guys, so it's obviously going to be fairly competitive, but um you know, if you can get, you know, one or two of those, or maybe, you know, some of the skills within a few different players, um and then you're able to kind of experiment with different looks and things like that. Right, we That have, would be, I guess, in, in terms of the trend for wish list,
2: Right. right. We, we currently have the D without the three with Samir. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What hey, does Hunter Couture like Syracuse? Can we convince him to come? <laughs> <through>?
1: <laughs> that would actually be kind of wild. Uh, I, I, I don't think that he's looking to leave anytime soon, but man, if he, that, that is the kind of player that if he came to Syracuse would just be, you know, John Gillen-esque, but with a bit more height and, and body to him. Is, ah, he,
0: is man. he prefer Cooney? Get the
1: NCAA Trevor Cooney, uh, NCAA tournament Trevor Cooney was fantastic. Regular season Trevor Cooney and I still have a lot to work on uh, in our counseling (laughs) sessions. Not gonna lie. Um, speaking of counseling, um, (laughs) James Arthur Bayheim did went to some unofficial therapy and just vented to one of his friends in the media. That friend was like, "Oh." This is amazing. I should write an article about this, and did, and it's, cut up, it's kicked up quite a storm. Um, I
0: mean, for those remember. that he just didn't go to anyone. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, well, this is the thing. Well, this is the thing with Beheim. Half of him, half of these reporters, like Beheim, remembers them when they were, you know, Syracuse students sitting in front of him in the '80s, and he probably just forever thinks of them as that, not as somebody who can control the entire college basketball news cycle in a single night. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which another
3: half, another half are students that he's like picking off. (laughs) But
1: (laughs) uh, he's yeah, he he said things. There were a lot of things in there. Bennett, we'll we'll start with you. What was your favorite weird, hilarious, uh, the fuck are you saying, Jim Beheim moment of that article? Because there were the fact that there are multiple of it is I think the part that that made this made this special.
3: Yeah, no. So I mean, I I think it's pretty hilarious to be honest. But I'll, I'll so I will say that in terms of the quote, yeah, he called out some other schools for you know leveraging NIL deals, um, which is you know obviously within <laughs> within their right to do. Um, he specifically called out Pitt, Wake, and Miami. Miami is like the most like notorious, I guess, most infamous in terms of like the NIL deals with John Ruiz over the summer, where you know. Nigel Pack is getting you know however many hundreds of thousands, and Isaiah Wong is like threatening to leave if he doesn't get hundreds of thousands. So I think that's a pretty fair jab. Um, I mean, I I don't think the 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 Wake and Pitt stuff felt you know very kind of out of left field. Like, wasn't really expecting those schools to be the. And I, I also just like the whole conversation of like, how did this drop after a you know a win at BC? But that's all. <laughs> I think the timing is. And like, did, but, did you see he um, did the
2: most Beheim thing ever and walk back the pit and uh, wake things, but did it yeah. so <laughs> half-heartedly or whatever that it was just like I think that made it worse, Jim.
3: Yeah, no, that was that was another yeah, <laughs> another hilarious kind of excerpt of it all. But I think the funniest thing to me really is just like within the context of like like, Jalen Hurts was literally at your game last week, and, like, there's, like, articles dropping about, like, Elijah Moore getting, like, six or seven figures, and, like, Adam Weitzman is everywhere, and it's, like, I think within the context of that, and it's, like, you you think about, like, famous boosters in college basketball right now, and it's, like, he's got to be, like, I'm not saying number one, but, like, close to the, you know, top of the list in terms of, like, schools that I think about. So that's why he was, like, oh, I, you know, I can't imagine playing paying players or this or that, and it's, like, You know, there's literally articles dropping about it. So I I don't know if it's just him kind of like trying to like preserve his his just kind of like persona of it all and just kind of like ignoring like what's actually happening. But the whole thing was just it's too good. It's too funny.
2: Yeah, Um, He's screaming, get off my lawn when his bag man literally just brought a recruit up on a private jet with two rappers. Like, how how do you do that? (laughs) Like How do you throw your bag man under the bus in the same article? Which I believe yeah, is Andy's it's... favorite part of the whole thing.
1: <laughs> yes, throwing throwing Adam Weitzman, who again, has zero connection to Syracuse other than his business just kind of existing in the area. And is he like your Rochester? friend. Something yeah, like it's that, Rochester. Yeah. It's not even Syracuse. <laughs> and he he's literally only there because he's friends with Jim Beheim, And you threw your friend under the bus saying like, oh, he doesn't pay our guys enough. And then I, and my favorite part to all this thing is like maybe he doesn't pay the guys because they kind of suck like that that might be it like I think Judah's in for a payday next year like we definitely are probably gonna have to pay to keep him just after this whole fiasco which I'm sure Weitzman is absolutely loving especially um, but yeah I
0: mean, it's already happened in football like we saw with uh, we talked about last week with Chris Carlson with uh, Deuce Chestnut and Jihad Carter.
1: I was gonna say if you haven't listened last week, uh check out our Troy News is an absolute podcast interview with Chris Carlson, the new NIL reporter for Syracuse.com, who literally went walked us through exactly how Weissman is spending money on Syracuse Athletics, Jim yep. Beheim. Listen to this podcast, Jim Bayheim <laughs> Um I guess Steve, as the as the guy who is it, again, this is the Steve is old. We made it Yay. forty-six minutes into it. Very, you know, that's a, that, we, we that's close a while to a record. here. Uh, as the guy who has been around the program longer than than us and has seen really good Syracuse players come through who may or may not have been being paid in some way, shape or form <laughs> like this. This just feels weird
2: for Jim to be complaining about. You have a a coach who I mean, yes, he's been here since time, but there are two literally vacated seasons under his watch for recruiting violations. The, like you can't tell me that people haven't been paid around Syracuse like just the realist in me is saying this like that's been in college athletics for years it's not like it's something new i mean blue chips was a thing uh that a movie that he even started himself um <laughs> but yeah i completely forgot that he's in blue chips yeah yeah like there's
0: I, I don't how, know why how would how wild would it have been if beheim was somehow in express
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I, man! oh god yeah I, it, it, the whole thing boggles my mind it's just jim being jim like we've we've all been used to it for so many years he knows what he's saying he knows what he's saying is completely off the wall What's he uh up? Maybe I don't know. I did like how uh, Wake's coach Forbes came out right after the com- after after the comment got to him was like, "We haven't paid a single person in any nil to be here." <laughs> so
1: <laughs> everybody here at Wake Forest is here because it's the last chance. We
2: <laughs> we were basically
1: last chance you for the ACC, and we know it. <laughs> right,
2: which is what Syracuse is turning into if we keep burning all these bridges and <laughs> setting the program on fire. Oh my god. So I I don't know I. Uh, part part of me after that rant hopes Jim Beheim doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but well, well, <laughs> well thankfully, the football. yeah, thankfully I'm the football reporter, not the basketball guy.
0: Well, one of my other favorite things about this article, and but I want to I'll get your take on this is uh, again about the portal because the, the direct quote is, "We didn't take many transfer portal guys. If we did do it and did whatever we had to do, I wouldn't feel good about that." These other coaches, it doesn't bother them it feels like especially in the college basketball landscape with the way that it is right now you need portal guys in order to yeah. really reshuffle your roster and make it better like Syracuse like we already talked about could have benefited from a portal guy this uh, another portal guy other than Mooney or Hema uh, in, in this offseason to at least make this team somewhat more palatable. like with like how how important is this for like the top teams to really raid the portal I mean, right No,
3: I, I think the portal is a, a huge huge development in terms of the kind of whole college basketball st- especially of the no waiver and you can j- kind of just play right away um i think it, it's a, a huge huge development obviously there are some schools like the dukes of the world that are not even dukes actually a bad example because i was gonna say there are some schools where it's like you know they just kind of churn out these five-star kids every single year but even schools like Duke and Kentucky are even adopting the transfer portal where it's like, you know, Ryan Young is playing big minutes for, you know, Duke until they've kind of reshuffled their front court recently. But, um, you know, Kentucky is the same type of thing. Like, obviously, Oscar Sheba was a transfer, and you go down the list, and it's, you know, they've got quite a few transfers there as well, like Xavier Wheeler from last year. Um, so, but I, I think it's a huge, huge development. Um, even within the ACC, you look at, like, Pete Nance. Like, UNC loses Brady Manick from a championship team, and they just go out and get, you know, this very, they lost a
0: transfer player. and then got another transfer to right,
3: exactly. So it's, it's it's a yeah obviously you know that they're very different players and the fits are different but um from a talent perspective being able to lose you know that quality of player who was integral to their you know final four run and then some and you know just get you know a you know a very talented player you know right back in pete nance is is unbelievable so i think that that's you know, going to continue to be a huge development. I think if you look at like winners and losers of most confer- most conferences, or if you look at like teams that you thought, um, like uh, teams that are kind of surprising, a lot of them it's because of the portal. So if you look at like nationally, like Kansas State, for example, like you know, Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson are both like you know on the All America radar, and it's like you know, just teams being able to just you know completely flip the script and reload. So I think a lot of the teams that are Like that, were kind of like picked at the bottom of their, you know, preseason polls, like coaches' poll or whatever. Um, A lot of those schools um, that loaded up on transfers are, you know, seem to be undervalued before the season. Um, And I guess, like, kind of an interesting development from like a betting perspective as well as we kind of know that. But um, I think, yeah, for Q's, it's going to be very important. Um, I think for some of these trends that we've started, it's, it's really early to try to kind of pick up on trends because the portal is so new. But, like, I think. You have some coaches that are like, um, I'm not even going to bother with, you know, high school recruiting as much, so that I can just go to the portal. And you have other coaches apparently like like Jim is kind of the inverse, where it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, keep recruiting freshmen and try to develop internally, and you know, not kind of use the transfer portal as much. I think really, you're, obviously, you're going to need, you know, a balance, and it might change year over year. Um, but I think the two are certainly compatible. Um, like, I think a lot of transfers that if you look at. Um, where they ended up after entering the portal a lot of times it'll be like somebody gets re-recruited so like you were down to Syracuse and one other school you went to the other school it didn't work out now you're back in the portal like having being able to say like oh I already have a relationship with this coach and the staff and you know I almost went here and I know the system is like a pretty big leg up especially when it's you know this kind of like circus to you know try to sign whoever's available and this and that even little things like you know getting you know in contact. Different players and things like that. So yeah. that I think that is, you know, definitely kind of like a an advantage as you kind of think about, you know, where that where we are with the portal in the next like five years. Well,
2: and I guess like if Jim wants to take that high horse stance, that's fine. But nobody else is, and he's going to recruit freshmen, and then somebody else is going to take them in the transfer portal from him. So, you know, you either got to play the game. The game is evolving. You either got to play the game or get the hell out.
3: Yeah, and I, I mean, I I don't think he's. Like obviously, they didn't have a ton, of, uh, you know, of transfers for for this incoming season, But if you look at the past, like obviously he's, like, you know, guys like Cole Swider, or like, going going back a little bit farther, like, like Jay and all these guys, like, he's done it before. He could do it again. I, I, like, I don't want to, you know, completely rule it out or anything. Also, I think like another kind of interesting development is a lot of these schools are kind of getting away with like conference transfers. Mm-hmm. So like going back like, even a year or two ago, a lot of schools wouldn't allow you to transfer from one school in conference to another school. Um, now I would, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I believe it's still true with the ACC, but m- most conferences are, I've done away with that now. So you're able to get players that are kind of already familiar with your program, um, or, and players that you, you've already, you know, gone up against quite a bit and have probably scouted, you know, more so than some of these other players that are in the portal. So, and there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of angles at work here in terms of what, uh, you know, cues can do to kind of continue to reload in terms of talent.
1: Yeah, this is, uh, I, I, Bennett, we're definitely going to have you back on uh, ne- at the beginning of next season because I think we're in for, from a Syracuse perspective, even though there might not be a whole lot happening on the court in March and April, I feel like off the court there's going to be a lot of discussions and there's going to be a lot of potential movement around um, everything. And so what next year, even though we thought next year's Syracuse team was going to look a lot like the same, it certainly feels like that won't be the case. Um, so we really appreciate you jumping on the pod to talk what turned into uh, a great, great show. I did not expect to talk about Jim Beheim this much, but, you know, news dump in Chestnut Hill <laughs> undefeated, so.
3: <laughs> no, yeah, the, yeah, for better or worse, I guess the, the gym headlines are, are kind of taking over <laughs> the Q's basketball sphere right now, but, um, yeah, glad we got to talk about some, you know, some actual basketball as well in the mix of it all. <laughs>
1: Really appreciate you having on the show, Christian. Next week you get two week you get to back up on two weeks of lacrosse talk. I pinky promise.
2: (laughs) Mm. Oh, uh, before any before we go anywhere though, we do have to continue the trend because this is a soccer podcast.
0: Yes, let's Um, do it.
2: So it is official that Coach McIntyre has been signed to a quote unquote long term contract extension. I don't care how long it is; it isn't long enough, and I don't care how much they're paying him; it isn't enough. Uh, but Mac is officially, you know, signed and back and, uh, coming off the heels of a national championship. It's probably a well-deserved, uh, well-deserved extension. Yeah. Well, you was, I'm, you I was going to know what,
0: ask. you know, what broke also earlier this week. That was also, wait, that happened last week. Huh? Mr. Opoku.
2: That was oh, this no, week.
0: Ha. That was this week.
2: Huh? Oh yeah. It well, is February. That, transfer okay. Deadline transfer deadline day. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, for anyone who didn't see any of the posts or anything, um, Nathan Apoku, the former forward for Syracuse, has officially been signed by Leicester City and sent out to uh, Rv Olien, o- Ov Louvren, or something yeah. like that,
0: some, uh, some Belgian team. the
2: The tenth place team in the Belgian Pro League, um, who is a who is also owned by King Power that owns Leicester City, so it's kind of a uh, little, little farm club action. He did not uh, make the bench this weekend. I did check. Um, so, But he is officially signed with Leicester and on loan uh, in Belgium. So the first ever uh, Premier League signing by, uh, is it a college player or a college team in general or just ACC? Yes. Okay. Uh, I think in general, but
1: someone can maybe correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, we we all we all looked it up and nobody could find anything else.
2: Right, no. we saw a couple that went like I know um, like Wake had a kid that went to uh, Celtic a couple years ago. What's Check that? Harrison. Oh yeah, uh, well oh, Harrison too. Like yeah. yeah, Harrison went through MLS and then um, yeah. over there. And there's a couple of college other college kids playing in the Premier League, but no one that has gone direct. So this is to our knowledge, to the pod's knowledge, the first signing uh, of any college player by a Premier League side. I'll take it. Yeah. Absolutely wild. Oh, Syracuse is a soccer
1: program now, whether we like it or not, uh basketball will have to wait until mm-hmm. uh, Weissman starts paying guys more. So wait, that
2: when, is- when when <laughs> Christian, when your when your tweet uh like when you, when we got that phantom response from his agent, now we yeah. see where this came from. Now we, now we
0: know. Now we know,
2: yeah. So yeah. Yep. Uh,
0: uh how much how much let's end the pot on this. How much money is Weitzman going to pay key on Anthony?
2: It'll his, be nice. Can his dad just pay him? Is that weird?
1: <laughs> Carmelo, boost, boost your own son. Boost your own son to Syracuse. Come on. here's an allowance
0: how How, how weird is it for key Anthony to walk into the if, if if he does end up going to Syracuse to walk into the building with his dad's name on it.
1: I'm just more worried about the stories that Carmelo has told his son about Jim and that kid is going to walk in there thinking like he owns the place and Jim Beheim who will be 80 years old at that time is just going to be the worst version of himself like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm it that might end poorly. That's that might end poorly. Um just like this podcast. Kidding, 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 kidding. Uh That is it for this edition of Troy Dunes is an absolute podcast. Thank you again to everybody who listens. Uh, We really do appreciate the support. Thank you to Bennett for joining us. Uh, Make sure that if you're listening to this on a podcast platform of choice that you like, rate us, review us, subscribe, especially now with the uh, housekeeping that's going to be taking place. We're really going to need some help um, for people to do this on like the main podcasting platforms. We really appreciate your support there. Um, as always for now, you can check us out at noonsmagician.com, uh, where, you know, if you're listening there, you're watching, uh, the, the live stream there, we really do appreciate the support. And, uh, as always. And if
2: uh, you are watching this via the live stream, make sure you subscribe to our Twitch channel and, or the podcast feed as well. Uh, and I believe we'll be pushing to YouTube once we, uh, once things get figured out.
1: Yeah, we've got some changes coming. But in the meantime, go Orange. Go Orange. Orange.